Truly, this is a glorious day as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though he were dead, yet now he lives. Not only did Jesus come forth bodily from the tomb, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is one day coming again. I ask you a simple question this morning, and that is, why is the resurrection held in such high regard? How does the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ affect you and me as we get on with our daily routine tomorrow? Why is the resurrection important? Such hoopla is made over Easter, but what about the ensuing days? What about next week, next month? Why is it important that Jesus rose from the dead? It's easy to lose one's perspective on life, especially in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Life can be filled with gloom and doom, as it were. 1 Peter is written to God's people in the midst of great adversity. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are God's people to whom Peter is writing. They are referred to as the elect, those who were chosen by God, those who were named by him, people who are dear and precious to our God. They also are referred to as exiles. Exiles are people that are far away from home. They are living in a strange land. They are strangers within that land. And they're also referred to as the dispersed, the dispersed. And then it gives the regions to which they have been scattered, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They are scattered as refugees due to religious persecution. It might be hard to identify with the plight of these New Testament saints, so let us think just a moment about the people of Ukraine as they've been so much in the news and in the forefront of our thinking. These are people that are fleeing from the onslaught of Russian armies. These are people who are living in other countries, away from home, away from family, family members and loved ones, without a place to work or to live, many not even knowing the languages of the people among whom they are living. Imagine the stress, the worry over family matters. People that are left behind, are they, are they still alive? What about the threat of death for them? All could look very bleak. Do they have any future? Is their suffering ever going to come to an end? Do they have anything to look forward to? Well, now I'd like us to draw our attention back to these New Testament saints who are exiled because of persecution. They're not fleeing a foreign army. They are, they are fleeing the wrath of government and peoples who oppose them simply because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
What does that mean for the faith of a child of God? Are we abandoned in such times as these? We might ask ourselves, what went wrong? You may have responded to a gospel invitation that had words something like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And yet you may wake up one morning and find out that life doesn't seem all that wonderful. It's filled with hardship. It's filled with difficulty. There's anguish. There's misery. And what are we to think about God at times like that? What impact does it have upon your faith? Peter is writing to give these exiles hope, encouragement, comfort during stressful and difficult times. If you look at verse 6, it says, in this you rejoice. He's, he's giving them a cause for rejoicing. Then he adds, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's not whitewashing the situation. He knows that they are in a midst of difficult trials, and these trials are a grief. They are a hardship. They are difficult to bear. And yet, at the very same time, he says, you have cause for rejoicing. And the rejoicing doesn't get rid of the grief, but one and the same time. There's reason for grief, and there is reason for joy. He begins this epistle with a wonderful declaration concerning God. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is blessed. God is to be praised. God is to be thanked. God was to be praised and given thanks even in the midst of their trials and sufferings. Again in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials. They have a reason to rejoice while still grieving. What is that reason? Why should they rejoice? The answer is because they have a hope. They have a hope. In fact, we just sang about that this morning, a living hope, namely Jesus Christ. They have something to look forward to. Things will get better. The future is bright. Their hopes and dreams should not be dashed by their present hardships. Their present troubles are not inconsistent with being God's people or being a blessed people. That's so important to keep in mind. Our present troubles are not inconsistent with the fact that we are God's people and that we are a blessed people, despite present hardships and difficulties. No, they remain confident in their future expectation, for they have a hope, verse 3. And that hope has... A significance for verse 4, an inheritance. An inheritance. And so the theme this morning is that we are to be encouraged in the midst of adversity to have confidence that we're going to receive a marvelous inheritance in the future. The reason for our confidence with regard to our future inheritance is due, first of all, to God's mercy. If you look at verse 3, our God is a compassionate God. 
He is not indifferent to our sufferings. He is not unaware of it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has great mercy. He's compassionate. And not just compassionate, but his compassion is large. It's vast. It's deep. It's wide. And God's compassion moved him to do something. God's compassion motivated God to take action. For it says in verse 3, according to his great mercy. He acted in accord, in keeping with, because of great mercy. And what he did, what his compassion moved him to do, was to make us his own. To bring us into his family. It says in verse 3 that he caused us to be born again. To be born again. God made us his family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, that's referring to Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have come to the recognition that when Jesus Christ died, he died on the cross for our sins, and that he bore the penalty for our sins, and that he was placed in the tomb, and that he rose again in victory over sin and death. If you trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for your sins, you are born again. You are born again. I hope that you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no access to God apart from believing in Jesus, believing in his death, believing in his resurrection. But as I said, in being born again, we are a part of his family. For John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, who were born. Now, to be born again is to be born into God's family. To be considered one of his children. We are told that this was accomplished as a result of God's will, for it says in verse 3 that he caused us to be born again. John 1.13 makes it clear when it says, who were born not of blood, meaning not through physical descent, nor of the will of flesh, not because somebody has believed for us, nor the will of man, not because this was initiated by ourselves, but of God. But of God. God is the one who caused us to be born again. All you have to do is think about your first, first birth experience. Who here decided that you were going to be born? That was your parents' doing. They brought you into life. God the Father brings us into life with his son. Why is that important? We'll see it at the end. To be born again carries with it the idea of having the rights to be a part of God's family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God who were born. The result of being born again is that we have been made heirs of God along with Jesus Christ. In being a family member, it means that we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Romans 8, 16 and following says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Jesus Christ, meaning that we share in Christ's inheritance. For in this passage, Christ is referred to as, God is referred to as Christ's Father. So we share in Christ's inheritance. It is Christ's assets that we are given, his standing, his place, his glory, his riches, his sonship. An inheritance also comes after the death of someone. And our inheritance comes as a result of the death of Christ in verse 3. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. From the dead. The benefits of Christ's life, death, and ultimately his resurrection are attributed to us. And our inheritance is made sure as a result of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus, and he is alive. For many, their hopes were dashed when Jesus died. Their hopes were dashed when Jesus died. This morning in the service prior to this, our young people led it, did a terrific job, and alluded to Luke 24, 20 and following, where Jesus appears to the disciples after he had risen. And these disciples were forlorn over the death of Christ. And these disciples said, chief priests and rulers delivered him up to the, be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Well, our, our hope is alive and well. For Jesus has risen from the dead. Verse 3. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is a demonstration of God the Father's acceptance of Christ's sacrifice for sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of Christ's power over all his enemies. For Romans 1.4 says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Nothing, no one, no entity could keep Jesus in the tomb. He conquered all. And the resurrection of Christ is a guarantee of his present and eternal help for us. For we are told in Romans chapter 8 verse 34 that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's alive. He's well. Our hope is him. It is what he has done for us. And what he has done that we want to focus upon this morning is given us an inheritance. Given us an inheritance. 
For let me read once again verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's the object of that hope. To an inheritance. To an inheritance. That's what we are to look forward to. That's our expectation. That's our future confidence. That we're going to have an inheritance. An inheritance that will never be lost. It is secure. It is secure. There are four emphases in verse 4 to depict the security of that inheritance. The fact that it can't be lost. It's described in the following words. First, it's everlasting. It will not be used up or diminished over time. It's imperishable. It's imperishable. And it can't be done away. It will always be there. It will never be exhausted. Our inheritance will not spoil. It will not go bad over time, for it is undefiled. Our inheritance will not wilt or rust, for it is unfading. And our inheritance is in a very, very safe place. Where it says in verse 4, kept in heaven, preserved, guarded in heaven for you. Unfortunately, all too often, inheritances do not materialize. For the assets to an inheritance can easily be lost. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, there is this warning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Earthly treasures can be rendered worthless. Worthless. Or it says in Matthew 6, 19, moth and rust destroy them. There are things that can eat away. It's just a picture of the moth and the rust eating away. There are things that can eat away at an inheritance. Inflation can eat away. You're looking forward to cash, and as inflation gets higher and higher, that cash value gets lower and lower. Inflation can eat it away. Unintended circumstances can eat it away. Bankruptcies. And all of a sudden, all those assets are gone. Gone in smoke. Earthly assets can be stolen. It says in Matthew where thieves break through and steal. One of the big issues right now is identity theft. How easy it is for someone to take on another person's identity and squander all that that person has worked and saved for. And again, it's gone. It's gone. So Matthew tells us don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor thieves break through, nor steal. Heaven's a secure vault. It's preserved, it's kept. Nothing can affect the treasure that is there. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. This is that heavenly treasure that Matthew tells us to seek after. 
It's there. It's there for all who believe in Jesus. You've got this future inheritance waiting for you. And nothing can happen to it. But not only is the inheritance secure, but we're secure as well. We have confidence that we will live to see and receive our inheritance. God has and will keep us in the faith. If you look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now it's talking about us. Not only is the inheritance guarded, but we're guarded. We're kept. We have believed and we will believe. That's why it's so important to understand that God has brought us to faith. That's why it says that he caused us to be born again. For by grace through faith are you saved and not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And because God gave us that faith, we can be assured we will always have that faith. For it's not from us, it's from God. And God will protect it and God will keep it. So Paul writes to the Philippians and says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ. He who began this work of faith in you will keep it, will perform it, will accomplish it. Salvation will be experienced because it's from God, not from us. It's from God. There is a complete future deliverance coming. Verse 5. Who are kept by God's power, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A salvation, a deliverance. A deliverance. An incredible deliverance from pain, sorrow, heartache, misery, all kinds of sinful consequences, all that we are experiencing, hardship, difficulty, whatever it is, material, physical, whatever it is, there's deliverance. There's deliverance. The next life, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no more tears, there's no more anguish, there's no more sin, there's no more oppression. We're delivered. We're delivered. And once again, our present hardships are not inconsistent with that future hope. Verse 6. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In this life, we have troubles. Job said, <laughs> like sparks that fly upward. Mankind experiences troubles, heartaches, suffering. Job knew about suffering. It shouldn't surprise us when we suffer. In fact, we find in Scripture we're called to suffering. Even as Christ suffered, we are to suffer also. Nevertheless, when Christ returns, we will give him praise, honor, and glory for all the blessings that we have as a result of his death and resurrection. 
The end of verse 7, it says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right now, according to verse 7, our faith is being tested. Tested. Trials test our faith. How real is our confidence in God, in the salvation that he has promised us? This faith is more precious than gold, it says. For gold cannot achieve, accomplish, purchase what Jesus has accomplished and purchased for us by his own precious blood. He bought for us what we can't buy. He made an investment with his life in something that we cannot get a return on in any other way. Jesus Christ died in order that we would share in all of his glory. For his sake, for our sake, he became poor. We might be made rich, not in this life, but in the life to come. So conclusion. If we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will, not be disappoint- we will not be disappointed after we die. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made the children of God and are given the promise of being heirs right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in his standing. We are the children of God even as Jesus is a child of God in the sight of God. We can be assured this morning that no matter what we are presently experiencing, all of the future blessings of eternal life will be ours because of Christ. But what does that have to do with anything, you might ask? Or unfortunately, the emphasis of society is to live one day at a time. To live in the moment. Make each and every moment count. Don't think about tomorrow. Think about today. Think about what you are experiencing today. And if you're encouraged to think about the future at all, you're encouraged to make a bucket list. Come up with a list of all those things that you want to be sure to get done before you die. You don't want to miss out on any experience. You don't want to miss out on any fun. You don't want to miss out on anything. So if you're going to think about the future, you better make a list. And you better get it done. So even the future is all about this life. It's all about now. The present experience, the present joy, the present delight. It's a focus on the here and now, as though that's all there is. As though there is no future. As though there is no life after death. As though there is no eternity. So many people believe that this is all there is and there is no more. The fact we have gathered together today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us there is more. There is life after death because he rose. 
Jesus lives, and so shall we. All too often, even we as Christians don't want to think about death and almost think of teaching on heaven as irrelevant. For again, there's just so much emphasis on the here and now. People want to hear sermons on relationships, on, on politics, on material things. Things that pertain to the now. My experience right now. Tell me about what I'm going through right now. Get me through the next six hours. See me through this day. I don't know if I can make it for the week. So what do you say to a person who says, this morning, right now, I have needs. Right now, I have concerns. Right now, I need help. The scripture describes this life as, as a vapor. Compares it to grass that wilts. This life is minusculely short. It's, it's brief. Eternity is before us. Now that's, that's a hard concept to get around, but eternity, never ending, never ending life is beyond us. It's future to us. This morning, we're celebrating the reality of eternity with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul gives a testimony of why this belief in the resurrection is important and why this perspective of eternity is important. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We don't give up. We don't faint. We don't quit. Paul knew a lot of hardship. He knew a lot of difficulty. He knew persecution. Suffered shipwreck, stoned, beaten. <laughs> what kept Paul going? What was his answer to the next three hours? What was his answer to tomorrow? What was his answer to the next week? Why did he decide that it was worthwhile to continue in his declaration of faith and trust in the resurrected Lord and why he was so committed to taking that message to others. Well, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away. Though the body is wasting away, he said our inner self is being renewed day by day. Each day, his battery is getting charged. Each day, he is refreshed. Each day, he is renewed. Each day, he is recommitted. Because this is his perspective, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light, momentary affliction. Now, light affliction. Remember, he's being stoned. Remember, he's shipwrecked. Remember, he's beaten. But it's light in comparison. 
It's light in comparison. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. It's light in comparison to the weight of glory. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They go by the wayside. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. So Paul said he is refreshed, he is renewed by looking at the eternal things and taking his eyes off of the contemporary things. Paul's word of encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy is this. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And he goes on to say, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. They can put me in prison, but they can't put the gospel in prison, Paul says. Remember, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This is not just one day to celebrate. It's absolutely essential. Every day of our lives, we remember Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that means you and I are going to rise from the dead. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that means that you have an inheritance that is incredible. And Matthew says, lay up for yourselves treasures there, for it is secure, it is safe. You will not be disappointed, because we have a living hope. Our confidence is in Jesus. It is because of Jesus we have this inheritance. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of it. Take your eyes off all the other things that would distract you. Remember, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, which means you and I will rise from the dead. Place your faith and trust in him. He is our hope in the midst of sorrow, heartache, suffering, and death. He rose to deliver us. And deliver us, he will. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. I pray for anyone here this morning who has never placed their faith and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, who hasn't acknowledged their need of him, I pray that today would be that day, that they would just simply examine their life and understand that the reason that Jesus Christ died on the cross was so that sins could be forgiven, that if it were possible for any other way for sin to be removed, Jesus never would have died. But there is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So I pray that each and every one here this morning has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and as they place that faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would give each of us a perspective on life. 
on its brevity, on its brevity, how short-lived it is. That whatever it is that we are experiencing, it's a momentary light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is before us. That is forever and ever and ever. Oh Lord, may we really believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And in that resurrection, we have confidence in our own resurrection. We will have eternal life with you. We thank you and praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.